Thank you all very much. You did a good job, too. Give yourself a hand. You sang. Yeah. We'll get a people bus and just uh, start going on tour. And then I can preach in between singing and tell a few, tell a few bad jokes. <clears throat> this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're continuing our journey to the manger. Uh, I noticed that uh, between Joel and uh, Valerie, they got the journey to the manger 3. And uh, matter of fact, tonight when you come back, we're continuing in the book of Nehemiah. Remember, we're going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through Nehemiah. And it's a series too. It's a series of united we stand, divided we fall. That's the series of Nehemiah. And we're going to learn from Nehemiah. And you don't have to number every one of those series because it would get crazy by the time you finish the book of Nehemiah. But here in Luke chapter 1, we're going to study or glean from verse 40, uh, 57 through 80. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 67 through 75. So if you want to stand for that reading as I read verse 67 through 75 of Luke chapter 1, uh, we'll read it together. <clears throat> and here we go. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised through our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we pray that as we break open your word, as we've already created a spirit of worship within our minds and our, our bodies and our, our gathering here through music, through prayer, through giving, through giving our attention. Father, may your spirit renew our minds to be conformed to Christ today. May your spirit refresh our spirits in a world that is full of things that... Uh, causes fear, anxiety, perhaps even hopelessness. There might even be someone within the sound of my voice, Father, whether it be here personally or through the computer, that feels hopeless today. They feel empty. Father, we pray that your spirit will fill them. Fill them with joy unspeakable, peace beyond understanding, and righteousness that is only found in Jesus Christ. And may that feeling, Father, raise them up from their melancholy state and remind them that you came to us, that you are the great I am. You're the great I am that did it all. And Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The message this morning is the, manifest, the manifesting benediction of the Savior. We talked about the, the miracle conception, and we talked about another message. Now it's the manifesting benediction of the Savior. This story 
leaves Mary, leaving her cousin Elizabeth after being there three months, remember? She found out that she was having the Christ child, so she went to her cousin, whom she heard was having a child outside of age that was like a miracle. So she stayed with her for three months, uh, Mary did. And then it says Mary went back to her house, which, by the way, Mary, remember, went back to her house, not Joseph's house, because she wasn't married to Joseph yet. So by the time she got back, what? You think after three months she was probably showing. She was showing. And we talked about those, those consequences in that culture. But now the story is, is that now that that three months has passed and Mary is gone and Elizabeth was already six months before Mary got there, now it's at nine months. And Elizabeth is going to have her child. She's going to have John. <clears throat> and remember, prior to that, Zacharias had found out that he was going to have this son. And when he just didn't really believe it, God made him a mute. And he made him a mute when Zacharias was going to go serve in the temple. And typically, Zacharias, when he was rotating the temple back in our earlier message, he would have gave a benediction, some kind of uh, proclamation about God and how great God is, kind of like that song or some of the songs that we sang today. He would have gave some great benediction and prayer. But he's been mute all this time. And we're going to see in our story that when John, as we call John the Baptist because we understand it through the book of John, when John is born, <clears throat> finally, Zacharias's tongue gets unloosed and he's going to give a benediction so appropriate to not only his son John but to the one Messiah that has come and that's what we're going to see here today the manifesting benediction of the Savior in verse 57 and 58 there is the manifestation of rejoicing the manifestation of rejoicing look at verse 57 and 58 Remember there in 56, it says Mary remained there three months, and then she returned to her house. Well, she was already there at Elizabeth six months. So verse 57 and 58, the manifestation of rejoicing. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her I remember probably a little bit less than Karen does but I remember our first child I was there she was really there but I was there present I was her Lamaze coach I guess we had Lamaze classes back then and all I can remember is this little baby came out and I'm uh, by that time I'm 28 to 28 26 years old I'm thinking little baby it's a little boy so I didn't know what to say. I was just rejoicing. I, I was holding life in my hands that was part of me and her life. And I remember when we had our little girl. What, Joshua 7 found something. Faith was 6'6", six, six, and, and jo Joey was about 7-something. But every time those babies came out, it was just so amazing. And other people were rejoicing with us because we had, we had life. We had physical life that God had brought forth in the womb he fearfully and wonderfully and woven in the mother's womb well it was no different in Elizabeth's day except in Elizabeth's case remember she was beyond age she wasn't she was beyond age of having so that was like a, a blessing that she was having this child that the Lord had shown mercy on her to give her this child and when she birthed this child the scripture said that her friends and her neighbors they rejoiced they rejoiced because they had heard that the Lord had shown mercy on them they hadn't had any children and in their old age, they were having it. So at this time of the, that we're going to see the benediction of the Savior, 
there's a time where man, there's a manifestation of rejoicing just in John the Baptist or John. The family was rejoicing because by culture, if you had a son in that day, that was the one that was going to carry on the legacy. Even though we know that the Jewish people used the women to carry on the lineage, right? But yet that was the legacy. That was the one that would re receive the inheritance and things. So they were rejoicing in this son of legacy. They were rejoicing with her in the son of blessing that God had shown mercy on them. They were rejoicing that it was a son that, that God had given life. And that's something that we ought to understand as Christians, that, that, that a human life, just the existence of physical life, is a gift from God. I don't know when God thought about me or thought about you and, you know, when you were conceived and all those things, but the Bible tells us in Psalm 139 that he not only fearfully and wonderfully wove you in your mother's womb, but he even knew you before you were ever formed. You know that means no matter how you were birthed today, you were not an accident. You were not a mistake. You weren't a, whoops, maybe to us it was a, whoa, what was that, you know, or even them, but, but not to God. You're here because God chose to let you exist as a human being. That's why we ought to value not only life in general and defend life, but respect life, respect one another. Because we're made in the likeness of God. We're a triune being, body, mind, and spirit, right? And we're made in his likeness, his Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're the only part of creation that's made in the likeness of God. That's why he gave us stewardship over all creation. And we ought to respect life. These people were manifesting rejoicing. They were joyful, not only because of the, of the blessing and, and the, just the untimely manner of this birth, but it was life. And it was a son, according to that culture, of legacy. So we learn in verse 57 through 58, God gives the life. We ought to know that. We ought to believe that. Did you know, I, I went to see a, a what, fire station four? Is it four? Okay. The one there on Route 66. Those guys respect life, don't they? They, they try to save lives. One of the young men in there, he said, preacher, he said, uh, I'm trying to eat my three-way chili with Fritos in it and he just asked this big question he says what do you say about people that just say well I'm not into organized religion he said how do you convince them I'm, I'm trying to eat my three-wave chili you know and my coffee and my water and I said well think of it this way Boyd I said you all are certified licensed firemen right I said everyone you want to be a fireman he said yeah and I said now if one of one of you got certified to be a fireman and then said but I don't want to be organized I don't want to have to place that. I just want you to call me when there's a fire. I said, how many fires and emergencies do you think would really be taken care of if you weren't organized and constantly being trained? I said, so that's why we ought to go to church, organized, because number one, we want to be a people of like mind. We want to constantly be trained and equipped for ministry. And also we have that camaraderie, because listen, in there, there's a camaraderie. And I knew there would be. Uh, me and Brian's kind of talked about that. I, I don't understand quite that camaraderie because I've never been in that kind of camaraderie. Lots of times as a pastor, you're, you're an island sitting out there somewhere, isolated somewhere, and it's kind of hard to make connections, and, even though I'm very social. But within that realm, they've got to be organized. They've got to meet at one place. They've got to uh, be equipped. And so these men, what I'm trying to point is, is these men respect life. That's why they got into what they were doing. They're trying to save lives. They're trying to 
go out to emergencies and save houses because they respect life. Now, I did tease Boyd. I, told, I was told that he was uh, fourth in the nation, what, in wrestling. And, of course, he was on the other side of the food counter when I said this because he's bigger than me. And I said, Boyd, that means you're third last place. And his eyes got about that big. So, anyways, but God gives life. And you know what? Whether you're a fire person or anything, we ought to respect life. We ought to seek to save life, just life itself. Because God gives the life. And these people knew, not only in this miraculous setting, but in general, God gave her life. So there was the manifestation of rejoicing. Then in verse 59 through 63, there was the manifestation of disagreement. So right there in the midst of joy, they have a disagreement. Look at verse uh, 59 through 63. So it was, that is, in the midst of the rejoicing, saying the Lord has blessed this lady, he's shown mercy, in the midst of proclaiming that the Lord was all a part of this, so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called his name, uh, him by the name of his father Zacharias. His, aunts, his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. Remember, Zacharias is mute right now. They just assume he's some kind of deaf mute. And she says, no, he needs to be called John. Now, how did Elizabeth know it was John? Because it was Gabriel that told Zacharias his name was to be John. Well, that tells me that Zacharias here in a little bit that's going to write down the name here in a little bit. He must have wrote a note to Elizabeth. This is what's going on, babe. This is what's going on, mama. We're having a baby. His name's going to be John. Don't name him after me. She says, no, his name is John. Verse 61. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is, who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father, like he's deaf. Like, you know, I guess they're trying to, you know, do the sign language or whatever they're doing. I've had to, I had a, I had a uh, deaf couple that could read lips in my church in Kentucky. And they said about right there where Karen did. And I know they knew what I said because when I was saying something true, he'd go, amen, amen. He knew what I was saying. They were deaf. And we would swap notes all the time, wouldn't we, Karen? I'd swap notes going over their house. But it says they were making signs to this, this father what he would call him. In other words, they were going by respect. Well, what would the father want? The mother just said, no, his name's John. Well, what, what does daddy want? That's part of that culture. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. So they marveled. I mean, my first son is Joshua, but he's got my middle name, Robert. My second son's name is Joseph, but he's got my first name, Stephen. Our daughter's name is Faith, but she's got mama's middle name, Louise. And so that's customary that you would give them your name or one of your names, right? And they were marveling. They, they were in this disagreement. And the disagreement came from respect to the father. Well, normally they're named after their father. Why wouldn't you want him? And she says, no. Out of respect to God, no. His name is John. And so they went to the father, and he says, yes, it's John. There was this disagreement. Because custom is a good thing. It's, I mean, it's customary. We call him Joshua Robert, right? My first one, we got my middle name. That's my dad's name, and that was my grandpa's name. That was my great-grandpa's name, Robert somewhere. Matter of fact, I've got so many cousins with the middle name Robert or the first name Robert. Some of them say, don't call my son such such Robert, you know. I said, well, why not? My dad's name is Robert William James Holstein. So I was almost Robert William James Holstein 
Jr. And my mama said, yeah, you can go do that to him, Stephen Robert. That's what you're going to do. But there was a custom, and there's nothing wrong with customs. Customs are good in general, but customs have their limitations concerning man because that's not what God wanted, right? God said his name will be John. So customs have their place, but only when God says, no, you're going outside of custom. You're going some other way. Custom is respecting. In this case, they respected what Zacharias said. Now, Zacharias just said, his name is John. He didn't explain to them like he probably did Elizabeth. An angel came to me. His name's going to be John. He just said, no, his name is John. So in the end, God not only gives the life, God gives the direction of that child. And every parent has to know more than just what we're going to name them when they get there. I mean, Karen and I, back when we were having babies, there were some, maybe some videos they could take and everything. We just said, don't ever tell us what it is. Don't ever tell us what it is. And we'd always pick a girl or a boy name, and then they would come out. And we, would pretty, we were pretty good about predicting the first two, if it was a boy or a girl. But the, the third one, Joey, we didn't know. He was our Y2K crisis, August of 2000. So we didn't know. And he came out crying like a baby, didn't he, Mama? But God gives direction, and you know what? God ought to give us direction beyond just a name for our children. He gives us uh, a direction to raise them up, to train them up in the way they should go. And when they grow, they'll not depart from it. It talks about having your quiver full of arrows when you have children. And it's more than just putting them in your quiver. Up, oh, got another one. It's taking out that arrow, making sure it's straight and true, sharp. So that when you shoot them out in the world, they make a difference for God. That's why he says that, 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 we, that through that legacy, there's an establishment that we can carry on to the world. So there's a giving of God giving instruction of his name, God giving life for John. <clears throat> and after that manifestation of disagreement, there was a manifestation of amazement. Look at verse 64 through 67, the amazement. It says they all marveled, and immediately, this is talking about Zacharias, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. Because as far as, remember, as far as these people knew, he was just a deaf mute. His tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts. It's the same kind of saying when it says next week that Mary pondered that in her heart. Kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. There was an amazement. They were amazed that this mute man, this, this mute one, all of a sudden spoke and praised God for his son, John. And here in a moment, he's going to continue to prophesy, speak the message of God, and not only point out what John's going to do, but about the Messiah, whom he is privy to Elizabeth and Mary's conversation, knowing who Mary is holding. He heard Mary's uh, magnificent prayer last week when we read it. He heard that. He was there with his wife. But he was mute. This muted one praised God for his gift of not only John here in a moment, but for the Messiah. The hearers that heard this mute, 
they, they spread the news that this man that was once mute now speaks and he speaks praising God for the gift. And as they heard that, they spread that, uh, that anticipation that God was doing something. Remember the context that we started that first Sunday on the journey to the manger. It was in the context that for 400 years, God had been silent. God had not used a man to prophesy his message. All they had was what they had. God was silent for 400 years. And now this man, Zacharias, is speaking the message of God of not just law and legalism and do this and do that. He's speaking hope. He's going to speak salvation. He's going to speak forgiveness. He's going to speak eternity. He's going to speak about the one who is going to sit in David's throne that was always been promised. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph, now to David, he's going to speak. And God is no longer silent. And it caused the people to not only hear what he had to say, but share what he had. And, that, and all the people just wondered about that. They were in amazement. The manifestation of amazement. Then verse 67 through 75, the manifestation of salvation. He prophesies salvation. He prophesies hope for a hopeless people. Verse 67 through 65, the manifestation of salvation. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. In other words, he's here. He's here to, ready to redeem his people. And has raised up a horn, a strength of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. In other words, the Messiah is here. He's on the throne. He's here on that eternal throne of David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, just like they spoke, who have been since the world began. By the way, there's a beginning to the world. And it didn't start with a big bang. It didn't start from some slimy green amoebas. God spoke it into existence out of nothing. And he said, let there be, and there was. And thank God he did. Since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies. And by the way, your greatest enemy is sin and death. But they're talking about the nation also, Israel. And from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. What was the mercy promised to our fathers? Well, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It was salvation by grace, by God's grace, by, by God's giving righteousness, by believing. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. There was a manifestation of salvation in this benediction, in this, in this prophetic message, speaking the message of God that Zacharias spoke. In this manifestation of salvation, uh, as he spoke, he's saying, God has raised up his Savior as he has said he would. 
He's saying God has brought us his Savior as he said he would. God has lifted up the Savior to the throne of eternal of the eternal throne of David as he has said he would, and it will be forever. And we will know it for the rest of our lives. He is saying that in this message there is a manifestation of salvation, of hope, of cleansing, of grace and mercy that we don't deserve, but yet God has finally brought that Messiah, that Savior. And then he goes on to say that there's a manifestation of forgiveness and how that message of forgiveness comes about, how it starts in this new era. Verse 76 through 79, the manifestation of forgiveness. And you, child, now he's speaking of his John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. This Messiah that's come to give salvation. This Messiah that God has raised up to be on the eternal throne of David. To, to bring about his promise of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And you child will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. For the remission or the removal of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. In other words, God has come to be with us. To give light, that is to open the eyes, to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, hopelessness. To guide our feet into the way of peace, to be reconciled with God. This manifestation of forgiveness, he says, is going to come because God is sending John to proclaim Jesus who saves. This John is going to be sent by God to not only proclaim the Christ, but explain the Christ. Because he said, he said there that you will give knowledge of salvation to his people for the remission of their sins. Listen, I'm not a salesman up here. I can't say enough sad stories or tear-jerking pulling on you to get you down the aisle. My job is to give you information from God's Word. Information from God's Word, and the Spirit of God stirs your heart and makes it revelation and opens your eyes and draws you to Him. That's why Paul says, preach the Word, Timothy. Preach the Word. In season, out of season, whether it's popular or not, you do it to rebuke, to convince, to exhort, to encourage. You just preach the Word. And we'll see here in a little bit at our time, Romans 10, 17, my favorite verse. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And any church that, that doesn't want this part to be the central part of what we do when we, when we come together to worship God, the, the breaking of God's word, well, then I don't know how they're busting up the seams other than maybe they're telling people what they want to hear. But this manifestation of forgiveness will come through one called John, who will go before the Messiah and, and proclaim him, explain him, and he will introduce them and say, Behold, the Lamb of God. He'll actually introduce them to him. And then when Jesus, we'll see, we'll see in the Gospels, if we were there, we'll find out that when Jesus said, Well, baptize me too. Well, that was a baptism of repentance, wasn't it? That wasn't a baptism like we, we call baptism of uniting and associating with Christ. It was a baptism of repentance. He said, well, why would Jesus need to repent? Because he had to repent for you and for me. He did it all. 
He began his redemptive work right there at his baptism. He repented for your benefit and my benefit. And he humbled himself and John says, I'm not even worthy to lace your shoes. You want me to baptize you? Yes. This John, this John will, will, will manifest a message of forgiveness. And he'll proclaim it to the people. He'll explain it to the people. And he'll just right out introduce him to the people. This manifestation of forgiveness. And then in verse 8, 80, the manifestation of prophecy. Remember, there has been silence for 400 years until now. Zacharias has spoken. Now John the Baptist is going to speak for God. Speak his message. Verse 80, the manifestation of prophecy. So the child, that is John, grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel until he was going to manifest his proclamation, his explanation, and his introduction to that Messiah who is now on the eternal throne of David, this Savior that came to give mercy. The prophet grew up to be bold. He grew up with a bold spirit. Now, I don't know a lot about John the Baptist other than what the Bible tells us. Remember, he was the guy that wore the camel hair type clothing. He lived out in the caves. He ate locusts and honey. Listen, I, I like meat. I like beef and potatoes, don't I, Mama? So I'm, I'm not a, I, I would never be a John the Baptist. I couldn't eat locusts and honey. I couldn't live in caves. I got to have my recliner at night and turn on the ceiling fan and ah, just kick back, you know. I, I, I was tell, Brian's always teasing about I'm staying up late. I actually went to bed at 11 o'clock last night, Brian. But you know what? I woke up at 3. And I thought, should I send Brian a text? No. <laughs> but I, and I went back to sleep about 4, but I didn't do that. But you know, this prophet, he grew up bold. You know why? Because that means mama and daddy were raising him on the things of God. And he grew bold in spirit. He grew courageous, confident in what God had called him to do. I still remember the day that Joey signed up for the army. I know it's not, he's not John the Baptist, he's just Joey. But he said, Mom and Dad, I went to sign up for medic because I really want to do something like that, maybe get an RN when I get done or whatever. Maybe even work in hospice with you, Dad, as an RN. I said, oh, that's cool. He said, but Mom and Dad, they didn't have any openings for that. He said, so the one that they had a bonus for, a $10,000 bonus, was 13 Foxtrot. What's that? Is that the Ford Observer? Or artillery. I said, what's that? He goes, I go out front, I spot the enemy, I call in the cordons, and call in the fire. And the next thing out of Joey's mouth is he turned to his mom, and he said, but mom and dad, he said, it's okay. I can't be back to the back. I've got to be up front and listen. He says, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. That's a boldness. That's not a death threat. He's not wanting to die. But he had that kind of confidence in God. John the Baptist grew up through his mom and dad's raising him before the Lord, training him up as a child where he should go. And they, he knew, he knew what he was called to do. And this prophet grew up bold. This prophet, in some essence, grew up in obscurity. He was out in the wilderness, growing up out in the wilderness. And this prophet grew for his time. I hear preachers on the radio sometimes. I hear other talking heads on the radio because I get a lot of windshield time. I like to listen to the radio and listen to 
basically theater of the mind is what I like. I, I can watch TV. I can watch movies. I like the theater of the mind. It makes me get pictures in my head. And lots of times you would think, you would think that, that based off their opinion, this generation is just going to hell in a handbasket. And maybe it is culturally. But I know some young men and some young women that my kids have grown up with in Inola. And matter of fact, what, Tuesday night we went to watch a basketball game there in Inola. It's a big basketball school. And there's a senior on that team. He's about six foot seven now. He lives down at the end of our block, little Jackson. I call him MJ, Mr. Jackson. But just to watch him grow up when he was a little kid and then run into some other kids that know Joey or Faith or Josh, there's some good generation out there. When I walked in that little firehouse and I was sitting there talking to Barrett, and me and Barrett were talking, the door kind of swung open. I turned around thinking Barrett's pretty big, and I was this big old guy that looked like Wild Bill Hickok, and just standing there like this. I was like, who's that? He goes, oh, that's my captain. Oh, okay. Shook my hand. I don't know. He shook my hand with a piece of beef or something. I don't know. He's big. But listen, just like those men are good men that I met the other day. I really enjoyed interacting with them. I like interacting with younger people, not that I don't like us older folk because I've been visiting some homebound too and, and stuff. But when I meet young people, I see hope. He grew up for his time. It says there, he was in the deserts to the day of his manifestation to Israel. God has perfect timing. Someone once told me when I was at a class reunion, well, Steve, you're a late bloomer. I said, well, thank you. And I think it was more of an insult than anything else. But I said, well, thank you. But, you know, when I first started the ministry, all I knew is God had called me to preach. Just like when I got saved, all I knew is God saved me. And for 10 years, I preached in nursing homes, and I thought I was, you know, self-pity again. You know, I thought I'd write a book called uh, The Unknown Evangelist, you know, like the unknown comic. Remember in the gong show, he'd have the sack over his head. I was going to write a book and put a, put a picture of a preacher with a sack over his head, The Unknown Evangelist. But for 10 years, I cut my teeth on preaching. I figured out who I was and who I was not. And then I began to pastor, and things didn't pan out the way we always thought it was. And if, we had an, if anybody had an excuse for not going to church, we had an excuse in some of those churches. But God was grooming me. God was, God was uh, uh, molding me. God was humbling me. And it opened the door for hospice that I understood grief, I understood pain. And then I began to open up a church in 2014, first time I'd ever done that. And I learned things about myself and about people. And it was always, it's been a journey. And then God opened this door to be here. I truly, but every church I've ever pastored, that's the last one I'll be at because that's my plan, right? I believe God's planted me somewhere where I could have camaraderie, good spirit. But this prophet grew up for his time. God raised him up. The manifestation or the manifesting benediction of the Savior proclaimed the good news of the Savior it defined the way that God chooses to introduce the Savior, that is through preaching, through explaining, through testimony, so that all who would need salvation, forgiveness, and the removal of sin could come to God and find righteousness. That's what this manifesting benediction of the Savior does. It tells the good news. It tells the way that God spreads the good news, and it shows that there's only one way 
to, to receive God's righteousness through the Savior, through the preaching, the explaining, the testimony of God's word. So what would this mean to a believer? How would we apply this as a believer? Well, we as God's believing church should rejoice, first of all, rejoice and defend life because God is the giver of life, that is, physical life. We should, as believers, we should share and spread the truth because God is the giver of truth. We are the bearers of truth. We are the pillars of truth. I heard a preacher say one time, there's truth decay out there. And he's talking about in the church, and there is. There's a lot of truth decay. I told my dentist that one time, and he just kind of smiled at me. But you know what? We're the bearers of truth, and God gave us the truth by his grace. We should also, as believers, we should pray and anticipate God placing, and placing people in our lives and us and other people's lives to proclaim in our time in our place, the good news. It says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. In our church culture that wants to entertain the emotions, in our church culture that wants to be shallow at best in their doctrine, in our church culture that avoids the difficult text, the difficult conversations, we are going to be a church. God has called us to be openly responsive and rejoicing, openly sharing, openly explaining to this world so that this world can hear a clear, competent, but compassionate gospel. And if they can't hear a clear, competent, compassionate gospel, then they'll not hear a gospel at all. That's the application to the believer. In a world of all kinds of bad news, we have good news. That's what I did every day as a hospice chaplain. Someone had just gotten their diagnosis of terminal illness when I was a chaplain. And if their disease takes its natural course, whatever that disease is, they will die in six months or less. Therefore, they were Medicare, Medicare uh, qualified. And I had to go in that house or that facility and figure out how am I going to bring the good news without being proselytizing or thumping away the Bible. I had to figure it out. And God was good. Doors were open. We need to be a people in the midst of bad news Indifferent news, scary news. I was listening to the radio last night, and they were talking about how there's been some drone uh, attacks around the Red Sea. I'm thinking the Horn of Africa here, Red Sea there, Israel there, Joey over here. And I said, Lord, it was about 11 o'clock at night, and I sent Joey a message. I don't know if he got it. I said, Joey, it's Saturday, 11, or I said 2300 Saturday. I said, so that makes it about seven, oh, 700 Sunday for you. And then I just texted a prayer to him. I said, God's going to take care of you. He's going to bring you home. He's going to give you physical strength. He's going to give you mental clarity. He's going to give you spiritual peace. And he's going to cause you to succeed in your mission. Well, listen. Maybe he needed some good news at a 7 in the morning there. I don't know. But I definitely needed to send it to him. And it may be as simple as you making a phone call. It may be as simple as somebody today, and I won't say who it is, but they gave me a card. A card that said something to me. It may be as simple as you just go up and give them a hug and say, I missed you last Sunday or whatever. Maybe it's complicated. You've got to get over there and get involved. I don't know. But we 
live in a world that's full of bad news and we need to figure out a way to bring purpose and hope to our young folk, our older folk, to all of us. To the non-believer, what would this manifestation, manifesting benediction of the Savior mean to you? Well, like with Elizabeth and Zacharias, lost person, <coughs> just as God showed them mercy, <coughs> God desires to show you mercy. He shows mercy to many people. The mercy is shown in the gift of just physical life. The fact that you exist today, lost person, is the mercy of God. Otherwise, you would not exist. The fact that mercy is expressed by those around you, even in this building, we want you to know that there is hope. Not hope that we wish for. Not hope that we, eh, I kind of hope so. No, it's a hope based off an eternal promise by a sovereign holy God that if he says something, he means it. And if he has declared you righteousness, he has deposited within you a, a desire for right. And what he saves, he's going to keep. What he began in your life, he's going to finish. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. The world needs to hear that message. When I was up that basketball game Tuesday night, the, because they called them the Morgan twins. They knew Joey. And one had become a Navy SEAL. I didn't know that. I went over there to talk to him. I knew the one that's real estate is very Christian. Didn't know about the other one. And as he and I pulled off to the side, I prayed for him because he's a Navy SEAL. I mean, you're talking about the elite of the Navy. He's going to be out there hoo-yah, as they would say. And I began to talk to him about the Savior. And he'd go, yes, sir. Yes, sir, doing his military thing. I said, stop it. I said, do you know Jesus? He said, yes, sir, I do. I, that's what I need to know. And I prayed for him. I, I may never see him again. I don't know. But listen, we need to let lost people and even saved people we're not sure about, let them know that there is hope. There is somebody that cares. We invite you as a lost person to come to Christ today. We invite you to simply call on the name of the Lord and he will save you. You must realize that you are lost. Otherwise, you'll see no need to come to God to be saved. But you are lost in sin. You're bound to sin. You're bound by your guilt. But God can set you free and make you friends with him through Jesus Christ. He can reconcile you and make you friends with God. So as Ken and the ladies come forward during this invitation, this invitation will be, or this time of inquiry, will be for any believer or for any non-believer. For a believer, if you just have a need and you can't get up here, wave me down. I'll come back and pray with you. They'll turn off the mic. I'll pray with you if you have a need or just a concern. If you're here today and you're lost and you don't want to come forward, please wave me down. I will come to you Johnny on the spot I'll be right there or one of these other people will but if you stand for the hymn of invitation if you're saved today you have a need please let me know or find someone you can pray with if you're lost today feel free to come forward if you're afraid to come forward find me after church and I will meet you anywhere you need to meet because you need to know Jesus thank you
thank you all for being here today. And those that are listening, we wave at you. I'm sure I know uh, some people wave at the different ones back there on the camera. And it's good to be here. And you'll be back tonight. Lord willing, Creek Don't Rise be back tonight. We're going to be in Nehemiah. And we're going to talk about united we stand, divided we fall. And that's not just an Abraham Lincoln quote, right? That's what Jesus said in the Gospels. So I want you to think about that as we, as we unite together. We're going to talk about those concepts. Be back tonight, 6 o'clock, correct? And uh, Wednesday, we do have business meeting. Then that Saturday the 23rd at 6, we have our candlelight uh, service with the Lord's Supper. I'll be prepared for that. And uh, then next Sunday morning, we're going to be in the manger. We're going to be right there in the manger with Joseph and Mary and the shepherds. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you so much that, uh, that you spoke to our hearts, that you stirred our hearts, that you manifested within our hearts a hope beyond understanding, a joy unspeakable. Father, be with my people as they go out, uh, keep them safe. Father, we thank you for the guests and the visitors and the very ones that got the gospel shared to them this morning, Father, uh, brings a joy to your a pastor's heart. So, Father, continue to lead us as the great shepherd. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.